Chapter 23 of Secretary Hawkins in Cuba. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Secretary Hawkins in Cuba by Secretary Hawkins. The Treasure Cave. We were sitting on the after deck of our boat that night talking in low tones about the happenings of the day. I felt a bit sleepy and sat back in my steamer chair with half-closed eyes, while Dak and Lucio smoked and chatted. The night was beautiful. There was a mild breeze blowing from the mouth of the bay, and it felt good after the hot day. The sky was sparkling with stars, and above a distant clump of palm trees, a crescent moon was rising. So, the lame man and his old sea captain are living in that little old ship, eh? said Doc, finally drawing me into the conversation. I say, Hawkins, who do you think that old man is? The one we saw coming out of the ravine with your lame friend. You said he was a sea captain, I replied. That's what he looked like, anyway. More like a buccaneer, said Lucio. He seemed to me as an old pirate who stepped out of some picture of history. There's no doubt about it, but that he and the lame man are both searching for Casanova's treasure. Sure, I said. I knew that as soon as I saw them come out of that crack in the rocks. And if you were wise, you would have allowed me to go down and take a look. Never mind, said Duck. Tomorrow you shall have the chance. It was getting too late, and you would have run the risk of being hurt if we had let you go this evening. It gets dark early down there in that chasm. Hush, whispered Lucio, look there. Our boat was anchored in a secluded spot under the rock called Casanova's Doom. Anyone who had not discovered its presence there in the daytime would never have thought of looking for it there at night. As it was, we had all lights out, and the only things visible were the glowing ends of Dax and Lucio's lighted cigars. Therefore, it was not likely that the occupants of the small jolly boat that silently glided across the mouth of the bay had any idea that they were being watched. Once in the moonlight, and I knew those two shadowy figures in the boat for the lame man and his old companion. Swiftly, the boat was propelled by broad oars in strong arms to the shore opposite, where it disappeared in the shadows. Your lame man travels around at night a great deal, Hawkins, said Doc. Wonder what he's up to now. They'll not bother us, said Lucio. We had better turn in. Where's Link? Valdez answered the question, saying Link had gone to sleep, 
and his daddy had carried him down to his bank. So Lucio and Jack went to their staterooms, and I made for mine. When I entered, the sight made me smile. Link was sound asleep in his bed, and curled beside him on the white sheets was the dog, tell me, on a chair beside the bed, his head bowed upon his breast. Link's daddy sat sleeping, holding one skinny hand of his boy in his own brown fist. I smiled, turned out the light, and jumped into an upper berth. I knew that Link's daddy would wake up, and so the other lower berth beside his boy would be vacant for him. No use bothering a happy family like that, I said to myself and tell me, switched his tail, and grunted in his dreaming. The next morning after breakfast, we armed ourselves with the things we thought might be necessary in emergency, and started for the winding way. I had two flashlights, in case one should give out, and also a knife and a small hand axe. I saw Dak Water slip his pistol in his pocket, just before he started out of his room. Lucio stood waiting for us on the deck with Valdez, who carried a coil of stout rope in one hand, a long stick with a sharp knife on the tip in the other, while across his shoulders were strapped two bags which were evidently heavy, judging by the way they sagged. Already? inquired Lucio. Waiting for orders, piped Duckwaters cheerily. And so we fell in line and left the boat in single file. Lucio led the way, with Duck close behind him. Following Duck was Link and his daddy, who held Telmy by a stout chain attached to his newly made collar. I broke up the rear with Valdez Alvarez, with whom I had become very friendly of light, because he was as anxious to learn to speak English as I was to learn Spanish. He was a nice fellow, and probably had had a better education than most men that work on the ships. But he was one of those who just let things come as they pleased and go the same way. Lucio liked him and treated him the same as he would his own brother, and no one blamed him. After I got to know him well, I called him Val for short, and it seemed to please him. The sailors called him Señor Álvarez, for they had all respect for him because Lucio liked him. Let me carry one of those bags for you, Valdez. I said as we walked along the shore. No, mucha, he said, smiling at me. Very light, Hawkins, like feathers. He always called me Hawkins. It made me grin every time I heard it, but I sort of like it. The winding way was reached, and up we started. I felt very sorry for Valdez as he started climbing up the hilly path with his burden, and after I insisted, 
he allowed me to carry one of the bags. And believe me, it was heavy. And before I got halfway up, I wished somebody else was carrying it instead of me. The thing that attracted our attention as we started up the winning way was the queer antics of Tell Me. The dog seemed to get wild as we ascended the path, and he strained at his chain until Link's father was obliged to hold him in with both hands. What ails the pup? asked Duck Waters. He acts like he's crazy. This is the place where his master deserted him, said Lucio. He probably thinks he can find him. No doubt it was a sailor who owned the dog and had to leave in a hurry. The dog was finally running, and Link's father could not hold him in. We all increased our speed, although Valdez and I fell behind because of our heavy loads. But when we reached the flat table rack known as Casanova's doom, Lucio had the dog's chain fastened around a heavy rack, and Link had induced the big animal to sit down and rest, and his pink tongue was hanging as he panted for breath after his struggle. Jeff, said Lucio, addressing Link's father, you and Link and the dog will remain up here and be on the lookout if anyone approaches. Duck Waters and Secretary Hawkins will go below with me and Valdez. If you should see anyone coming, give us a loud hello down the chasm. If you should have any real trouble, fire this gun. He handed Mr. Lambert an old-fashioned pistol, and Mr. Lambert nodded. I'll do that, he said, and if anybody gets frisky with Link, that dog will settle any argument. All right then, said Lucio, let's get a start. Valdez, will you go first? Valdez Alvarez was no coward. He put down his load and walked to the edge. Let me go first, won't you, Val? I asked. I'm not afraid, and I'm just aching to see what's below. Valdez turned a questioning look upon Lucio. The smile that passed between them told me that I could go. I believe that Valdez thought I was afraid. But I ran to the edge, where the rope hung in a groove fastened to the rusty iron ring. I knelt down, intending to get a hold upon the rope and go down hand over hand. But Valdez pulled me back. No, no, senor, he said to Lucio. He no must go so. Then, feeling unable to express himself in English, he rattled off a dozen sentences in Spanish, of which I cocked but a few words. Valdez is right, said Lucio. He says we don't know who put that rope there or whether or not somebody got wind of our plans and fixed a trap for us. We better lower you with our own rope, Hawkins, and if you see any danger ahead, give us a call and we can haul you up quickly. You'd never be able to climb back up 
fast enough if somebody should meet you below, you see. And so I went that way. Valdez quickly unbuckled a two-inch belt that he always wore and strapped it tightly about my waist. Then he fastened the rope to the broad strap and told me to hold the rope with both hands and to steady myself with my feet as I went down. Then he and Lucio took hold of the rope, and I sat down and slid slowly over the edge of the chasm. They lowered me into that mysterious place, as though I were a bag of wheat. Slowly I went, and it seemed as if it never would end. I had a little difficulty keeping out of the way of projecting rocks farther down, but on the whole I managed with my feet to push myself clear. When I looked up again, at last, I could see Doc Walker's head bent over the edge, looking down at me, and he seemed far away. All the way down, I had followed with my eye the line of the rope that hung from the ring above. All at once I noticed that the rope was no longer there, and looking up, I saw the end of it about ten feet above me. Hello, I shouted, and the rack sent back the sound five or six times, in echoes that picked each other up from different corners and sent the call down to the very bottom of the ravine. But they stopped lowering, and I felt myself swinging free in the air. Pull up, I yelled. I've passed the place, I think. Then up I came and shouted, Hello, again, for I had seen a hole in the side of the rock, and I stepped within a foot of it. But pulling myself up on the rope, I slipped my foot on the edge of the hole and backed into it slowly. It was a harder jab than I can tell, and I was thankful when I found myself resting on something solid. A sudden sound beside me startled me, and I just glanced around it in time to see a small snake disappearing into the hole. I hate snakes, and the very thought of going to this hole where any number of snakes might be nesting filled me with disgust. But I shouted, All right! Back came the echo, All right! And then Lucio's shrill voice, saying he was coming down. Presently, from my narrow view through the hole, I saw a foot come down, then another, and shortly Lucio stepped into the hole. It was necessary for him to back in as I had done. The rope is new and hard, he said, as he caught sight of me in the gloom. Look at these hands, blistered and sore. I smiled. Lucio was not accustomed to hard work. Where do you think this leads? I asked. Wait, he said. Our old friend Valdez will know. He has very many tales about these wrecks. In five minutes, both Doug Waters and Valdez were with us, and I moved around 
and turned my flashlight into the dark hole. It showed a passage sloping down but growing wider until it looked like a long hallway. Valdez said Lucio, what place is this? The Spaniard turned a puzzled smile upon us as he answered Lucio in Spanish, speaking rapidly. He says, explained Lucio, that the old folks told him that this was a pirate's refuge in the days long ago and that the pirates made such holes as these in which to hide when they were chased. Well, we are directly under the rack of Casanova's doom. Forward, Senor Alvarez, guide us to the place of your ancient ancestors. Valdez smiled as though he understood every word, but, of course, I knew he did not, or he might have been offended upon being accused of having pirates for ancestors. But he had a way about him of producing anything that he wanted whenever he needed it. And I was not surprised to see a brighter ray of light than that coming from my flashlight, and saw that he had fastened in front of him, with a strap around the waist, a large square electric lamp. It threw its powerful ray fifty yards ahead, and we started forward. The passage floor was very crude, as though it had been blasted or dug out. But at the end there was a turn. As we went, I felt the air grow chilly, and it was really cold when we reached the end of the hall and found ourselves staring into a place of beauty, a wonderful underground room that was hung from the ceiling with hundreds of long icicles that glittered and sparkled like rock candy in the bright rays of our electric lamps. You gods, exclaimed Doc Waters aloud, who would have thought of finding anything like this here, Lucio? Lucio did not answer. He spoke a few words in Spanish to Valdez, who went over and threw his light around the further part of the room. Then he turned and said, Si, si, senor. All right, said Lucio, turning to us. It is there. He has found the door to the treasure room. Now, you fellows, I'm going to tell you that the chart says the place is and will forever be haunted by the ghost of Casanova, and I believe that there is something, I don't know what, but some sort of danger for anyone going into that room. For my part, I'm going to risk it, for I want to know, but if you doctor or you secretary feel as though you are afraid to enter, say the word, it is not too late now. I felt myself shivering again. Somehow or other, I've got a bad habit of shivering at certain times. I don't know how it is, but I just shiver as though it is bitter cold. I don't feel afraid or anything like that. But when I start to shiver like that, I just can't stop. I couldn't hold my flashlight still, and its shining ray was dancing over the long icicles, making them sparkle like jewels. Nonsense, 
said Dr. Waters. I'm not going to believe in ghosts in my old days, Lucio. Good, said Lucio. And Hawkins, are you afraid? No, sir, I said, still shivering like the dickens. Let's go quick. Lucio walked across the icicle room quickly and stood beside the Spaniard. Doc took my hand, and together we followed Lucio. We stood before a low door, about half the usual size, which seemed to be set in a partition that had been built in this underground chamber to separate the treasure room from the outer room. Are you afraid to go in first, Valdez, or do you want to light our way? Asked Lucio. Valdez Alvarez Primera, always, said the Spaniard, and he quickly stooped and entered the low doorway. Now, said Lucio to us, follow me, and so we entered the haunted place. End of chapter 23